Uh, I really do like coming back to uh, Summerfest, even though I keep assuring everybody, guys, I am a, uh, a writer, not a speaker. So a little bit of generosity on your side will really help. I, I don't think you have to be a television expert. I don't think you have to be a person who watches a huge amount of film to just imbibe a lot of things in our culture and be able to respond almost immediately to sort of stimuli. Let me give you an example. If I said to you, it's life, Jim, but not as we know it, you know, most people would know what television series that came from. Well, okay, most people my age would know what television series that came from. It's from the classic line Star Trek. It's, it's Bones McCoy, the doctor, and he's always saying to Captain Kirk, the hero, uh, by the way, multifocals, I've just realised, make me feel like I'm on a ship. Okay, so if I actually fall off, you know, somebody pick me up. Uh, Captain Kirk is always being assured by Bones McCoy that, you know, the things that he's seeing, even though um, they don't actually look normal, are really quite normal and he should get used to them. Yeah, it's life, Jim, but not as we know it. So when a guy walks up who has a forehead that looks like somebody slapped a waffle on it, you know, he says, it's life, Jim, but not as we know it. If, if a furball turns up and it's actually something sentient they've got to pay attention to, it's life, Jim, but not as we know it. I think Star Trek is, is fantastic for things that you know, don't really make a great deal of sense but we've got to get used to. Like a starship that's almost completely crewed by men yet arrives on time. It's life, Jim, but not as we know it. Film and television stories regularly challenge us to look at things differently. You know, and, and in changing the views of the characters in the stories, they change the views of the viewers. You know, that's how they work it. Okay, and so, for example, entertainment has had a great role to play in changing the way that we see, well, women. You know, and I'm looking at an audience here which is basically... Three quarters women, so I, I want to assure you now, I'm not saying anything bad here. But all you have to do to see about our changing view of women is to look back a few decades. One of the joys of Christmas is you get to share the gifts that you receive. This year, um, I received a, a copy of the first, the original episode of Doctor Who. Okay, It was made in 1964. Oh, how we were excited, my wife and I. Well, one of us. And... We sat down to watch it, and yet even as we watched it, I started to realise that if people were sitting there and watching the program with me, a, a blue box that sort of groaned in and out of existence wouldn't be the most unusual thing that they would see. The most unusual thing they would see there would be the female characters. If you followed the leads of this classic production, you basically had a choice of two. Um, either you could try and get behind this sort of female teacher who literally fell over every five minutes on the watch and I can't go on, you know, and I, uh, and then, or just to let you know how much the attitudes of the doctor have changed, he had a granddaughter who is forever saying, don't be so stupid, you stupid girl, now, which if you said that on television today, your career would be over in a nanosecond. That's how much things have changed. But a scant 10 years later, and we were watching Lieutenant Ellen Ripley, you know, the heroine of the Alien series, take command of starships, stride through the most horrific scenes while men were falling like flies all around her. There was the Power Woman, and it was partly reflecting what was happening in society, and it was partly encouraging us to look forward. Till we arrive at the 21st century, and now we don't just have Power Women, we have power teenage girls. 
And so Frozen came along and we had Elsa and Anna um, and, and this wonderful sort of situation where they could not only sort of triumph over their situation, yes, I'm alone, but alone and free, but they could dance and sing all the way through it, which is something that men could never challenge. Uh, recently, I actually have to confess that recently, I watched Frozen to make sure I had boned up on it because it wasn't something I was actually paid to see. I didn't have to go and see that one. And so we're sitting down. Now, we're a household full of four boys. That is my three sons and me uh, and my beautiful darling girl, my wife. And we were sitting there and we we're watching it. Now, the boys were just a little distracted, by which I mean they'd left, you know, and <laughs> I was sitting there with my wife. And she had the remote, and honestly, by the end of that film, I was saying, let it go, let it go. No, but she wouldn't. I didn't win that one. But the point in all of this is that film and television screens are large and small mirrors. They reflect the way we feel about ourselves, and then sometimes they even reflect the world which we would like to see out there. Now, it's not as simple as TV says and we do, there's a relationship where we're feeding back to each other. Now, they constantly suggest, too, and they reshape and they refine our views of things. So they change the way that we feel about nations. You know, if you think about it, who are the bad guys according to film right now? Well, it'd have to be North Korea, wouldn't it? You know, if you're going to check films out, it's, it's basically the North Koreans we've got to fear. But prior to that, it was the Chinese. And prior to that, it was the South Africans. Prior to that, well, if you go back, it was the Germans. It was the, well, we didn't have television when it was the Romans, but you get the idea. You know, mass media is very much about trying to help us understand who it is that we pay attention to, who it is that we might fear, who it is that we might value. So for kids, this is particularly true. Okay, because kids don't have a great many opinions to balance off against what they might see. It's called the gap theory, you know, where in which media can insert an idea right in, in between empty ears. Okay? And so when kids were watching films last year, they were having all sorts of opinions about nations. Okay, if they watch, let's have a quick show of hands. Who had to go see Muppets Most Wanted? Who had to see it more than three times? Yes, we bought the DVD. Went on and on. Muppets Most Wanted is a fantastic way of telling children that Europe is full of people who drink coffees that are really, really tiny uh, and get far too many holidays, which must be an American perspective. How to Train Your Dragon 2, okay, it was another one. Oh, there we go, we've got a hand up already and I didn't even ask. Okay, How to Train Your Dragon 2 told kids, and this was a little unfortunate, that if mum and dad are separated, if you can just get them in the same room, force them together somehow, love will do the rest. You know, it told them that relationally, that's how relationships work, okay? Um, or if you look at Mr. Peabody and Sherman, okay, a great fun cartoon, but an interesting sub-message, you know, to Mr. Peabody and Sherman. It's the basic idea that there's absolutely nothing wrong with a dog adopting a boy. Let's face it, it would be unfair to stop him doing it. After all, he's successful, and he's rich, and he's intelligent, and if he can't get this via biology, we should allow him to have it, shouldn't we? There's another talk altogether. You know, we can do that a different day. But in particular, 2014 was a great time for kids to get a whole new picture of God. Okay? You might not have realized this, but it's there. You see, 
in Star Trek's quaint world of the 1960s, God was basically represented by Charlton Heston's booming voice from the Ten Commandments. You know, still comforting and yet somehow omniscient and omnipotent. And in the 1970s, God had moved on a little, okay, when we finally got to the films, Oh God, it was basically George Burns, the comedian, who was giving us a grandfatherly idea of God, still warm, still comforting, a little humorous. We get to the early 21st century and Morgan Freeman's taken over, not much has changed, still comforting, still, we've just made him multiracial, so God's kind of all, all embracing. But in the last year, we have had so many different stories about God and so many of them are aimed towards children. Has anybody seen the Lego movie here? Oh, okay, look, that's just, uh, it's given for parents, isn't it? The Lego movie. The ordinary construction worker Emmett is recruited to stop the evil Lord business from freezing the Lego world into stasis with you know, his glue. Uh, and what's going to happen, in fact, is we're going to realise as the film goes on that the Lord, Lord business is just a brick incarnation of a much greater figure, which they call the man upstairs. And the man upstairs is, in fact, played by Will Ferrell, and he's a dad um, who's so uptight he doesn't want his son to play with his own Lego sets. Now, it doesn't take a 12-year-old to realise that uh, the man upstairs and the creator, terms that are bat around this film, the filmmakers might be drawing on another image, you know, behind the story. Okay, they might be saying something about the man upstairs. They might be saying something about the creator. And Will Ferrell's godlike character posts rules all over his creation. Do not touch, hands off, keep away. Okay, there's a particular perspective. I bet nearly everybody who is a parent who's seen the Lego movie also knows the Lego theme. You know, if, if I were to start singing the Lego theme, I bet I could get a response. Everything is... Yeah, everything is awesome. Uh, everything is cool when you're part of the team. What most people don't realise is that was Lord Business's mantra for controlling everybody. Because the second line is, everything is awesome when you're living our dream. You see, the whole idea of the Lord Business characters and the man upstairs characters is that they are basically hooked up on submission and conformity. And everybody's got to do the same thing and be the same thing and be the same way and they can't change. And the man upstairs is just this echo of this uptight, angry and out-of-touch creator figure. You know, and sure, he bought the Lego sets and sure, he built the Lego sets, but he's forgotten that, that, that they're ours too, aren't they? And real freedom is not going to arrive until the creator realises that the, his creation should be allowed to be creators too. You know, I mean, there's something in there for the theologians. I'm going to skip over it. You guys can think about it later. But real happiness in the Lego movie is tied up with God really getting out of the way. And now the Lego movie still remains one of my favourite films from last year. So don't get me wrong. It actually taught me a few things. As a dad, it taught me that maybe me ranting about organising your Lego collection, you know, is probably not the best thing for a balanced household. But that said... It wasn't the last film in 2014 to talk about this sort of man upstairs figure. Okay, so maybe one for the the quarter of the dads who are here with me. Um, Last year's blockbuster for boys, uh, Transformers 4, Age of Extinction. Okay, now I don't know if you've got a boy household, okay, but this was high on the list. You know, my son started talking about this a full 12 months before it came out. Um, and, it, and in fact, he knew more about the film than I did, and it was my job 
to know about that film. You know, and so he was telling about it. We're counting off the days to go to it. And you know, one, probably one of the better decisions I made was actually to not take him to it, but to wait till the DVD came out and then play it selectively with him. You know, because inside of it, there's a storyline that goes on that's also about this whole creator idea. Okay, so if you don't know anything about the storyline, Optimus Prime is this transforming truck, uh, you know, the leader of a bunch of robots who live on Earth, alien robots, and they're called Autobots. And, but in this particular storyline, they're on the run because the American government has decided that the only good alien is a dead alien. And so the, the story's full of lots and lots of different villains to dislike. You've basically got the scientists who've accidentally uh, brought Megatron, the evil, you know, uh, gee, I don't even know what the bad guys are, but anyway, he's brought the evil bad guy back to life. And then you've got this CIA elite hit squad who go around. They're called Cemetery Wind, and their whole idea is to basically kill the Autobots. As an aside, and as a writer, Cemetery Wind is quite possibly the worst name for an elite hit squad I have ever heard of. Okay, because it kind of sounds more like something you shouldn't do at a funeral. You know, then... <laughs> anyway, I'm moving on from that. But you've basically had a whole range of villains. Um, you had the government being assisted by a bounty hunter, and his name was Lockdown, and he was an alien who was also trying to kill off all the Autobots. But Optimus Prime, his real anger is actually reserved for the guy who is employing the, the bounty hunter, the creator's he calls them. It's the creators. Lockdown tells Optimus the creators aren't happy about all these species intermixing. You know, and so he, they, he says to him, you think you were born? You were built, and they want you back. And what is Optimus Prime's response? Well, basically, he doesn't believe that anybody making him actually gives them the authority to tell him what to do. This message is to my creators. Leave planet Earth alone, because I'm coming for you. Now, by the way, that sentence makes no sense whatsoever, and I know that professionally. But you get the idea, don't you, that it's just the creators have moved from not just an uptight sort of figure who doesn't really get it with their kids and has to basically come into line with the expectations of everybody else. Now they're actually the enemy. Now, is that too harsh? Well, let's finish off by looking at 2014's biggest religious bonanza of the year, Exodus, Gods and Kings. Okay, now this is the epic story of the children of Israel, if you like, the nation of Israel being brought out of the land of Egypt through miracle, um, you know, at the, following Moses, but basically at the instigation of God. And Pharaoh gets in the way and we see all that happens. Now the kids might have, um, you know, their sort of Prince of Egypt version, but Ridley Scott, the director and the producer, was going to make sure that we saw miracles and we saw plagues like we'd never seen before. And they were truly epic. And then we also got to see God like we'd never seen him before. Spoiler alert, if you want to run screaming from the tent now, go right ahead. God turns up in this film as a petulant child. He's this child who spends half his time confusing Moses to the point of madness and the other half of his time throwing tantrums. You know, when Pharaoh, he hears that Pharaoh suggests that he's divine, he actually throws a nana and starts the plagues. That's basically what he's on about. He can't stand this idea that people would get in his way. He's confusing and he's cruel. Uh, and when, you know, when the best line in the film turns up, the best line in the film, it's in the mouth of Pharaoh. Ramesses says, who'd worship a god who kills children? And he, from a viewer's perspective, you just can't argue, can you? You just go, well, I don't know. 
But this is 180 degrees now from the original story. I don't know if you know anything about the Exodus story. You'll find it in the book of Exodus, surprisingly. You know, but the book of Exodus in chapter 6 says that this is a story all about God's love. Okay, so in Exodus 6, 7, he says, God says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And then you'll know that I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. It's this great caring story. It's the one they're supposed to look back to from the rest of their history as to how much God loves them. Okay, but instead now, it becomes this sort of twisted story of just how sicko God can be. You know, and in fact, the saviour in the end is not God, but a man who doesn't need God in order to work out what's right and wrong, um, who basically saves the nation by his own hand in the end with a great cavalry charge, again, that makes no sense, um, and he does the whole thing without killing children. You see, God is in trouble as far as the films are concerned. Now, I know what some of you are thinking at this point, and that's okay. Chill out, Mark. It's only a movie. You know, and I get that, okay, because let's be honest, today's blockbuster is in tomorrow's bargain bin. Okay, so I understand that. Um, no one knows it better. Honestly, I see about 200 films a year, um, and I can only remember two of them. So everyone knows that films pass on. But the interesting thing is that we can finish this up by simply saying it makes a kind of a point, doesn't it? The point is that there are more pictures of God in the films out there. There's more pictures of this creator out there than you actually realise. They're there. They just sit floating underneath the surface of these storylines. They're easy enough to find. And the question is, which one do you want to get behind? You've got the uptight warrior from the Lego movie. You've got the despotic controller from Transformers. Or you've got the evil child from Exodus, Gods and Kings. Which one of these would you like your kids to take on? You know, if you're like me, you go, gosh, I don't feel comfortable about any of these. And you don't even have to be a Christian to feel that discomfort. It just doesn't seem balanced, does it? Now, here's the thing. The power of the big and the small screen is not in what it says to a child, but what it says when there's no opinion in the way. Okay? You see, it's all about that silence I talked about earlier. It's all about the fact that if a kid has no opinion on something, then the movie can just drop the idea in and it's accepted. I know this because I lecture at schools and things like that. Occasionally I go along, it's fun. Uh, and I show them pictures of, well, what they think is the Holocaust. You know, I show them pictures of Nazis and, and terrible situations with Jews and things like that. And I go, what event is this? And they say, oh, oh it's the Holocaust. And I said, great. When did Liam Neeson get into the Holocaust? This is Schindler's List. And you can do the same thing with World War II and Fury, if you've seen that film recently, or Saving Private Ryan, you know, if you want to go back a little. Because if you don't have direct experience with something, it is very, very easy. That's where the media is most powerful, when it can drop the storyline in. Okay, so what are you going to do? Your parents, your parents like me, what are you going to do? How do you educate your children? Well, look, first start by giving yourself a bit of a pat on the back. Because what you've done is you've brought your kids to Summerfest. That's a good start. Okay, because here they're going to get an alternate view of God, one that's different to the sort of one that might be being pushed by cinema and films like that. Okay, so that's a great thing. And another thing you can do is you can actually introduce them to what I call the core material when I'm sitting down and I'm writing something. You can actually read Bible stories to them. That's great. They get a first-hand impression of what God's like. You know? um, when I want to show kids a different idea of the sort of things that they might think about, one that's maybe more aligned to what the Bible says rather than what the world says. Well, okay, I'm an author, so this is a cheat. I write a book, 
Okay, so you may not be able to do this, I understand. Okay, when I wanted kids to understand what it meant to belong, I couldn't, I, I couldn't find a book, so I wrote a book called Home. When, I, when my son came home from school and said, all my friends say I'm fat and he's as skinny as a rake, um, I wrote a book about friends so he'd recognize what friends actually look like, you know, what the Bible might think. This one I wrote for girls, just for my goddaughters. Um, it's the word war. Anybody who has anything to do with daughters knows you know, that basically words, boys, when they want to solve their problem, they just hit and it's all over and done with. Okay, girls have a great ability of saying something that gets to stick around for a long time. So I wanted to show them the power of words because in our society, we have a world which says, you know, it is your absolute duty to express your opinion and don't let anything come between you and saying what you think. Where's the Bible? God's idea is completely different to that. So, okay, you can start filtering in other material. Okay, but there's nothing better, I believe, than actually showing your kids that you believe something different to what other people might say. Talk to them about the films. Tell them what you actually think. Show them that you think God is not a psychotic child or a, a, a killjoy or someone who's just trying to control them, but he's actually a real part of your life. Again, you might have to do some work to work that out for yourself, what you believe and where you, where you think your opinion of God belongs. And this life course sounds like a great place to start. Look, let me finish off. The son and daughter who is armed to actually be ready for these films, who has an alternate opinion so they can actually balance up what they hear, is in no danger. And they can basically just enjoy the spectacle of these kids' films and see the childish images for what they actually are. Look, you've been really patient, so if you don't want to ask any questions, it's a wonderful time for me to leave the stage. But I understand that before I can escape, somebody's going to see if there's going to be any out there. Can we thank Mark? <laughs>